Well, it's hard to believe that we're at the, uh, the end of February, and last month we made a major shift in our sermon series, and, and we did that because there's a, a major shift that we came to in the book of Romans. Uh, we turned from that first part of Romans, uh, chapters uh, 1 through 11, uh, to the second uh, part uh, of Paul's letter, chapters 12 uh, to 16. Uh, from that, that first part, which explains the gospel, what it is, to now this second part, which explains how we are to live in light of the gospel, in view of God's mercy. So back in chapter 12, uh, which we, again, we got to last month, uh, back in, in chapter 12, Paul explains Four basic Christian relationships, uh, namely our relationship to God, uh, to self, to one another, and to our enemies. And then last week we turned to chapter 13, and in, in chapter 13, uh, Paul explains two more relationships. Uh, the first half of, of chapter 13, where we were last week, is about our relationship as Christians to the state. Uh, to government, uh, laws, and leaders. And then the second half of the chapter, uh, where we are today, is about our relationship to society, our civic neighbors, uh, which include those in the church as well as those around us who aren't. And so last week, our relationship to the state. This week, our relationship to society, our fellow citizens both Christians and not. And so, as you probably know, our, our passage this morning is Romans chapter 13, uh, verses 8 through 14. And let's pray uh, before we hear this part of God's Word. Well, Almighty God, uh, as we come to you, uh, once again, we thank you. We thank you for making yourself known to us. Through your word, by the power of your spirit, Lord, and, and, and we come before you now uh, this morning uh, asking that you would again, by the work of your spirit, that you would open our eyes to see, open us to your word, open your word to us, uh, that we might see all the more and believe all the more the good news that we might see Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So Romans chapter 13, beginning with verse 8. Hear the word of God. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is nearly gone. 
The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly, as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, making no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And this is God's word. Well, God's word before us, two paragraphs here. Uh, The first, about love, uh, gospel-grounded love. And the second paragraph, about hope, gospel-grounded hope. So we begin with the first paragraph, verses 8 through 10, a gospel-grounded love. Now, looking back, Paul ends the previous section, verse 7. He ends it saying that everyone should pay uh, whatever they owe to anyone, saying that we should pay off all our debts. However, he now notes in verse 8 that there is one ongoing debt, the continuing debt to love one another. You see, there's one debt that will always remain outstanding because we can never fully pay it. That debt is our duty, our calling to love. Because you can never say, well, I've loved enough. Love is what we were created to do, to love God, to love others. And when you think about it, love, that one word, that is a summary of the entire Christian ethic. Just one word, love. And notice how Paul ends verse 8. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. See, notice that he connects love and law. So why does he, why does he hold these two things together? Why does he connect them for us? Well, it's because God's law, verse 9, is summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, God's law is the guide to loving others. It's what love looks like. And loving others, verse 10, is the fulfilling of the law. Now, as as many of you know, I grew up in the southern U.S., uh, and down south, we are, we're known for a tendency, a tendency toward a, a culture of niceness, uh, a, a, a veneer of pleasantness, uh, where we only say nice, pleasant things, or else we just keep our mouths shut if we have nothing nice to say. But now, of course, we come by this, this uh, tendency, honestly, I mean, don't we? You know, our, our favorite beverage in the south is, is sweet tea. Everything's better with sugar. And so many folks that you might come across in the South, and the deeper South you go, the more it might be the case. But it can be very sugary sweet, very syrupy sweet. Because you, you see, we're usually nice down South, unless, of course, maybe we're talking about you behind your back. But even then, we try to be nice, don't we? You know, if we say something unkind about you, we try to always end by asking God's blessing over you. 
Oh, bless his heart. Bless her heart. She, she didn't mean that. But, you know, the, the problem is obvious. Because we can, so, we, we can be so committed to this kind of false keeping of the peace, so committed to that, that we often lack honesty. Which means that we often lack love. Biblical love. And especially tough love. A tough love where people can care enough for each other to, to actually address problems with one another. Addressing issues directly. Being kind and gracious while doing so. While speaking about hard things. Because you, you see, in God's economy, love without truth isn't really love. And truth Without love isn't really truth, at least not gospel truth. And so that's why we're called to speak the truth in love. But often when we know that the truth might hurt, could even cost us a relationship, we often choose to not truly love. Now, what will justify it, what will we'll say that we're doing the loving thing, but, but so often we're settling for the comfortable thing. Uh, too often we, we avoid addressing the difficult issues. And just to be clear, attacking, even if subtle, attacking is simply an aggressive form of avoidance. Now, avoidance, it's not just a southern thing, okay? People everywhere avoid addressing hard things, and that includes even hard things within ourselves. Now, do, do, do you ever do that? Are you ever avoidant? Well, bless your heart. Okay, but, but seriously, you know, we, we all do that at some level. We all do. Because like the South, the church can often develop this, this culture of niceness, this, this veneer of pleasantness. And that always leads to avoidance when that's our highest commitment. And here's the thing. Avoidance can easily slip into tolerance. You know, so much of what passes for love today What's proclaimed as love in our culture is tolerance. And tolerance is not love. To merely tolerate someone is to say, I'll put up with you. I mean, when my kids go to bed at night, I tell them I love them. I don't just say, I'll put up with you. Have a good night. Tolerance is not love. You see, what we're called to speak, to speak the truth, and to speak the truth in love, and that takes both courage and compassion. Courage and compassion, speaking the truth in love. And so this is why Paul holds together love and law, because we actually love through the law. An old pastor once put it this way. Love and law need each other. Love needs law 
for its direction, while law needs love for its motivation. And so as we grow together, as God's people, as the people of God, as the church, as we grow together in love like this, it actually strengthens and encourages us and it fills us with hope. And so that brings us to the second paragraph, verses 11 to 14, a gospel-grounded hope. And so let's, uh, let's reread those verses. <clears throat> Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is nearly gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ, making no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Paul says, you know the time, so wake up. You know the kairos. That's the word that he uses here. And thank you, Allie. Wonderful job this morning. She already introduced us to the two Greek words for our English word, time. And here Paul doesn't use the Greek word. He doesn't use the word chronos, referring to chronological or sequential time. The reason that we wear our watches or have clocks on the wall or now just have them on our phone. But rather, Paul uses the word kairos, meaning the most opportune time. The time of God's purposes unfolding. He says, you know the kairos. Church, people of God, you know the kairos. And so what he is getting at is that the kingdom of God, he's reminding us that the kingdom of God has broken in, has broken into the kingdom of this world. God's kingdom broke in with the first coming of Christ. When Jesus first came, inaugurating the forever kingdom. And it will be fully established when he returns. And so what that means is that now we actually live in overlapping ages. This present age and the age to come. And Paul wants us to be aware of and attentive to this reality. The reality of God's kingdom. Already here, but not yet in full. Again, verse 11. You know the kairos, so wake up. Paul is saying, pay attention. Live your life with with spiritual awareness. Live with intentionality for the purposes of God. Look around with the eyes of your heart. Because God is at work. Aslan is on the move. And then verse 12, we read, The night is nearly gone. The night is almost gone. Our text says the night is far gone. The night is 
coming to an end, and the day is at hand. We sang about it earlier. Uh, uh, Paul's reminding us that a new day is dawning. A new day is coming, the day when all things will be made right. And so therefore, live today in light of the new day dawning. In other words, we are to live in the present in light of the future. So I got a good uh, picture of that earlier uh, this past week. Now, one of the things that we do around the dinner table uh, most evenings is we go around the table and we share uh, good parts and bad parts of the day. It, it started out as singular and eventually became plural, so lots of, of talking going around the table on those uh, those ideas. However, uh, earlier this week, w- one of the evenings as, as we were getting to the good parts and the bad parts, uh, it became my son Ty's turn to share. And he had a huge smile on his face, which you can't see now because he's got a mask on. But unmasked, there was this huge smile, and he said, I have three good parts for today. The first is that I go back to school tomorrow. The U.S. women's national team plays soccer tomorrow night, and I have a soccer tournament in 10 days. Okay, did you, did you catch what he was talking about? Did you notice that every good part for that day, it was future-oriented? The future reality was informing his present reality. He was living in the present in light of the future. And that's what we're to do as Christians. To live today in light of the new day dawning. Okay, so so how do we do that? How do we do it? Well, picking back up, verse 12. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. We're to cast off and put on. We're to cast off, we're to put away the the hyper desires, the, the sinful lusts of our fallen nature. And we're to put on the armor of light. More specifically, at the end, verse 14, we are to put on Christ. In fact, it's the primary imperative of this passage, put on. On the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is just another way of saying live in the reality of your new identity. You are clothed in Christ's righteousness. So live in the new life that you have in Jesus. And so what Paul's getting at here is that we are to live in close, personal, daily fellowship with and dependence on Jesus. Or the way that Paul puts it elsewhere, put on love. Colossians 3, Paul says, put on love. Put on Christ. Put on love. Live in light of who you are and who you are becoming. Well, Paul refers to works of darkness in verse 12. And then in verse 13, he lists some of those works. Obviously, not an exhaustive list. But why 
Why is this list here? I mean, remember, Paul is writing to the church. He's writing to Christians. So, so why does he write to the church and include this list of sins? Well, it's because he's not surprised that we still struggle. In fact, he knows that we still struggle. Paul himself, he has already shared with us about some of his own struggles. Struggles with sin, as well as struggles with suffering. You know, just back in in chapter 7 of Romans, Paul is wrestling with his sin. You remember? Referring to himself as wretched man that I am. Later, referring to himself, as he writes to Timothy, referring to himself as the chief of sinners. In 2 Corinthians, Paul shares about Uh, Struggles with pain and suffering, emotionally, psychologically. Saying that he has felt crushed. At times he has been driven to despair. That he's been utterly burdened beyond his strength and so much so that he has even despaired of life itself. Okay, that's pretty weighty. Paul knows what it is to struggle. And he knows his heart. And he also knows his own struggle to love. So he's been honest with us. He's he's come out of hiding. And he invites us to do the same. To come out of hiding as well. Paul invites us to stop pretending, to stop pretending that that we've got it all together, to stop performing the the good Christian act. I mean, do you you remember what he has just told us about real love in in the previous chapter? Because back in chapter 12, verse 9, it was really kicking off these next few sections, uh, being recapped really in in, in part of our passage today. But, But back in verse 9 of chapter 12, Paul says, let love be genuine. Let love be sincere. And that's the love that he is talking about today. And so if you remember, what we talked, talked about that word, the word genuine, that it comes from the Greek word meaning unhypocritical. Okay, so let your love be unhypocritical, a, a word used in ancient Greek theater, uh, not in a, a derogatory or disparaging way, uh, but just simply referring to the masks uh, that the actors wore. Uh, back then, because that was their primary costume, was large masks. They put them on when they were on stage, and then they took them off when they were done. They put those masks on to play a role, to pretend that they were someone else, to perform on a stage. So now Paul takes this word and he applies it to real love, to what real love looks like. And he says to us, who are on the stage of real life, not on stage acting, but he says to us, he tells us, take off the masks that you hide behind. Stop pretending and performing, and instead be genuine and sincere. Let your love be genuine. He's telling us to love one another by being honest and real with each other. 
Now, that doesn't mean sharing everything with everyone. But it does mean we stop pretending that we've got it all together. But oh, oh how we struggle with this, don't we? I mean, we all struggle with this. We struggle to be honest and real. I mean, we struggle to be honest with ourselves. And of course, that overflows to the struggle with other people. And yet we all know that we carry our own baggage. We've all got our own sin and brokenness. The ways that we hurt each other intentionally, unintentionally, often wounding others out of our own woundedness. And Paul is calling the church to real life-giving love. He's calling the church to be a place where we can come and be known and loved, just as we are before him. A place where we can be honest about our struggles, can be accepted and embraced in the midst of them, can be cared for and shepherded through them. A place where we can grow in grace and godliness together, side by side on this journey. In other words, Paul is calling the church to be a safe place for sinners. A safe place for sinners. Though, of course, not a safe place for our sin. And you know, I sometimes wonder, what if the church looked a lot more like AA? Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, what, what if the church looked a, a lot more like that? Because AA is a safe place for the alcoholic. Though it isn't a safe place for their alcoholism. And that's a good thing. That's why they're there. They want to grow. And what if the church looked more like that? You know, what, what if we, we were able to introduce ourselves to one another? Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm camper. I'm, I'm a recovering sinner. I still struggle. And it's, it's really hard at times. But I also know that I'm a saint, saved by grace. And I'm glad to be on this journey with you as together we grow in Christ. Because you know, we, we all need a safe place. That's what the church is to be. I know I need that. Because I still struggle to let love be Genuine, sincere. So I, I think back, it was a, a couple of years ago, and, and I was coming off of some vacation time. But rather than, than coming off of that uh, refreshed and, and ready to go, I was actually pretty down and discouraged. And, and so much so that I began to wonder if I was depressed and so when, when I got home, I called uh, a local counselor that I had uh, made some referrals to recently and, and asked if she had room for any new clients. And she did and asked if I had someone in mind. And I said, yeah, me. And so we started meeting regularly. And though it turned out that, that I wasn't struggling with depression, what I eventually discovered was that what I was struggling with, in, in the midst of some, some difficult and challenging circumstances, is that I was struggling to love. 
to let my love be genuine before God and before other people. Now, I still struggle with that. I still do. But also, at the same time, I have grown a lot. Okay, it hasn't been easy, not at all. But it's been good. It's been good. And, and throughout the process, I've been, I've been just thankful. I've been thankful for a, a support team. Uh, my, my counselor, my wife, a couple of close friends that have, that have just really stepped up to walk alongside me. Because you see, they've been a safe place for me. Saying hard things, being kind, pointing me to Jesus. And so I wonder, what if we as a church, what if we really became more and more of a safe place for fellow sinners and sufferers, where our love was more genuine, even and especially when it's hard? Because a church like that changes the world. A church like that puts the gospel of God's grace on display in living color, vibrant living color, high definition. It displays the grace of Jesus not only to one another, but also to the local community because it is so countercultural. And it is so very good. As people are invited in, as people are drawn to it. And why? Because they see that it is a place of healing and thus a place of real hope. Gospel grounded hope. Because you see, when the people of God, when the people of God are living in light of the gospel, living in light of the new day dawning. When we are living like that, then the church, then the church is a bright light of hope into the dark places all around us. And again, Paul says, let your love be genuine. Love one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. For love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, to, to truly love like that, to truly grow in that kind of love, we've got to face some hard things, both in ourselves and in the lives of others. And, and here's the thing. We're commanded to do it, but we can't. We can't do it. At least not in and of our own strength. And so that means that we must put on Christ. We must daily, continually depend on Jesus. And as we do, he gives us his courage, his compassion, so that we might not only live through him, but that we might also love through him, through his love. Friends, his grace is sufficient for us. His power made perfect in our weakness. 
So brothers and sisters, just as we began this service, fix your eyes on Jesus. You know the time. So wake up. Wake up and get dressed. Put on Christ. Put on love. And together, as God's people, let's walk toward that new day that is dawning. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, oh, how we thank you that you are with us, that you are for us, and not just individually, but also collectively as your church, as your body, the one body, the body of Christ. And so we ask, we ask now that you would do a work in us, that you would make us a church that more and more grows into letting our love be genuine because it is your love flowing through us. And would you keep our eyes fixed on that great day when our love will be perfected. And so even now we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen.